Welcome, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Bruce Sens, and I have the privilege of serving as lead pastor of Forest Grove Community Church. And if you are new here, uh, especially, I want to say welcome. Uh, it's great to have you a part of this. I'm assuming that if you're here this morning, I'm assuming that you're here because you have a desire to know God more. I'm assuming that if you're here this morning that you're, you have a desire to know more of God's plan for your life. I'm assuming that if you're here this morning, you have a desire to grow in what it means to be a Christian or a Christ follower, or, or at least to explore what that means. And you might be somebody who, who comes here with a lot of questions, and you have many, many questions about those things. Or you might be somebody who has maybe not a lot of questions. Maybe you've grown up in the church, and, and maybe you should have more questions. Or you're somebody who uh, isn't even sure what the questions are yet. So regardless of how you come here this morning, I want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. We want to uh, talk together about this fall, as Kevin mentioned, about discipleship in this series that we're simply calling uh, Follow Me, from the words of Jesus and the invitation that Jesus continually gives his disciples and continually gives each one of us uh, as well. We, we've talked about this truth before, and, and you know it intuitively, is the, the truth that you all, we all follow something. We all follow someone. That's, that's just a given. Sometimes we're not really consciously aware of that as much as maybe we should be, but it's a given that we all follow something or someone in some way. And so a fair and a good question to ask ourselves, and what I want us to ask ourselves this morning, is what is it that we follow? What are some of the things that we follow in life? And lots of them are really good things. And even as I was processing that again this week and thinking through uh, the things that we follow, there's a number of things that, that came to mind. We follow people. We follow pathways. We follow plans. We follow passions. If you think about following people, we, we often will follow different people. I mean, people follow people on social media in lots of ways. We, we also, at times, if we've grown up in a family where we follow along the lines of our siblings, maybe. Maybe it's a, a leader, a political leader or somebody like that, or a business leader that we sort of admire, and we, we follow them in one way or another. We read their books. We, we follow what they do. Maybe you follow plans in some ways. Plans might be as simple as, as checklists, maybe to-do lists. You like to, to kind of tick off a checklist, and every day you kind of make a plan. Here's your plan, and, and you really like to follow the plan. You build houses, you follow a blueprint. There's a plan that you follow, and you kind of build it according to plan. So plans can have lots of different expressions, but a lot of times we follow plans. Or maybe we follow pathways. Pathways that have been built, if you think of pathways in our city, they've been laid down, they've been built for a purpose, they've been built to go in a certain direction, they've been built to actually take you somewhere. And so if you go onto a pathway, it will take you where it was intended to take you. And sometimes even in life, we get on these pathways and then we realize, well, this pathway actually isn't taking me where I want to go. Or we follow our passions. There are those things that stir within us, those things that kind of bubble up and that are just innate within us and they, they are passions that God has put there or that have just come to be over time and we follow those passions. And so I want us to be aware of the various things that we follow as we think about this morning and as we think about discipleship. Because you see, discipleship in its very simplest form is to follow Jesus. Discipleship is just 
responding in obedience to this invitation of Jesus that he gave to follow me. To follow. To be aware of what it is that we follow. Who it is that we follow. So I want us to look this morning at at three accounts in the Gospel of Matthew. And I'd encourage you to turn to the book of Matthew or the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. We're going to look at a couple of different passages in there, and we're going to look at three different accounts of Jesus' invitation to people to follow him and how they responded. He's saying, if you want to be my disciple, you need to go where I go. You need to live as I live. You need to care about the things that I care for. You need to do as I do. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. And he does so in each of these accounts. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 9. And Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 9 to 13, we see Matthew's own testimony. It's his own personal story. The book of Matthew, or the gospel of Matthew, is written by Matthew. And here in this story, as he's telling the life of Jesus in this entire gospel, embedded in this story in chapter 9 is his own personal testimony. In chapter 9, we see this story where he gets personal and he shares some of his own life story. It's really brief. It's not a lot. But we get a glimpse into Matthew's own testimony. And that's what we want to look at as he unpacks a little bit his encounter with Jesus and the invitation to follow. Matthew 9, verse 9. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now there's a simple story. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there that we don't fully understand, but there's a really concise, simple story. Matthew obviously uh, used few words to tell some deep, profound things. But if you know and understand a bit of the backstory of Matthew, you know, as it says in there, that Matthew was a tax collector, which means that he was a Jewish man who was working on behalf of Rome. Because these regions or these provinces in this area that were under the rule of Rome, they would hire, actually they would contract out the tax collecting role to Jewish people who lived in that region. And it was a contract that was actually pretty lucrative. And so they would bid on these contracts and they would get these contracts from the government of Rome and then they had the right to collect taxes for Rome. And these tax collectors could actually keep whatever extra that they wanted. Rome didn't really care as long as they got their portion The tax collectors could keep any additional, and so it was actually quite a lucrative business. These tax collectors, first of all, typically had to be fairly wealthy people to start with because they had to bid on the contracts. And then second second of all, they got even more wealthy because it was almost like extortion, and they would take more and more money from the people and give the portion to Rome. And the other Jews saw them as traitors. The other Jews saw them as despicable people. There was a whole separate category for tax collectors. There were sinners up here, and then there was tax collectors down here. Like, they were the lowest of the low. In fact, they were, they were seen as so low that they weren't allowed in the temple, the Jewish temple. Nobody would ever go to their homes because they wouldn't want to be seen with them because they were the worst of sinners. They were traitors. Their parents were, were ashamed of them. Their family often disowned them. And so this was the kind of people the tax collectors were. And this was Matthew. This is his story. And he's sitting there at his tax collector's booth with all this background, with all this baggage, and along comes Jesus and invites him to be his disciple. 
And Matthew would have known the messianic prophecies about the Messiah that one day would come in because he was a good Jew. And then here comes this man and he might wonder, is this the Messiah? And Jesus invites them to follow. It's a good news story. It's a remarkably good news story for Matthew and for each one of us as well. So what does Jesus do? Let's keep reading. Later, uh, it says, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat eat with such scum? You see, the Pharisees were the ones who did right. They followed a plan. They, They followed a checklist. They followed the law of Moses, and they added about 600 other laws that they would check off, and they followed a very specific plan. Matthew was not one who followed the plan. But when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Coming from one of the prophets. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. We see in this story that Jesus is amazingly comfortable with people who are not at all like him. He was amazingly comfortable with sinners, and even those who are lower than sinners, like the tax collectors. And this is the good news of the invitation to follow. This was the good news for Matthew, which is why I'm sure he's writing this story. He wants to tell his own personal testimony, even though he tells it in a very muted form. But this is also the good news story for you. Because you know what? Jesus would have liked you. Jesus does like you. He loves you. Just like he liked Matthew. And the invitation is for each one of us. The invitation is for all people. But Jesus also knows that only those who will follow are those who actually understand that they are sick. Those who follow are only the ones who actually recognize that they need to be rescued from their sin. The ones who follow are only the ones that actually recognize that they don't have it all together, even though they might put on a facade and make it look like they have it all together, but they actually need a doctor to make them well. And Jesus knows that, and that's why he says what he says there. Not the list keepers or the rule keepers like the Pharisees who put on this false front, but are kind of empty on the inside. And so Jesus gives this invitation for all people, this good news. It's a kingdom invitation. doesn't matter how much faith you have. doesn't matter how little faith you have. doesn't matter how, much, how messed up your life is or how perfect you try to make it look on the outside, even though it's broken on the inside. doesn't matter what nationality or color or tax bracket or what gender or gender confusion or sexual experiences you've had. It doesn't matter what addictions you have. doesn't matter who you vote for, where you live, whether you go to church or not. Jesus just simply invites every person to follow me. There's no entrance exam, no bar to to clear, no hurdles to overcome first, no conditions to the invitation. Just follow. It's this remarkable invitation where he says, you know what? You can come and join my circle. And if you identify with me, I will identify with you. But here's the thing. It's an invitation to be changed. It's an invitation to be transformed. It's an invitation to allow Jesus, through his extravagant love, to radically change your life. Because you see, the people who followed Jesus, they never stayed the same. And the same is true today. 
the things that we used to do, the ways that we used to think, the things that we held on to so tightly, the, the identities that were so important to us, all those things that we thought were so critically important in our life, suddenly they start to, to fade or change as we encounter the living Jesus and as we follow him. And he changes us. He changes us. And this is what happened to Matthew. Matthew went from the hated outsider to beloved. That changes you. When you recognize that no matter what you've done, no matter how you are the worst of sinners, that you are beloved. And Jesus simply invites you to follow. Let's look at the second account. In Matthew chapter 4, flip back to a few pages earlier or go to chapter 4 and, and look at this brief account again of so much that must be going on in this story, but we see in this brief account of people also who follow Jesus and are changed. And let's, let's read this text. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and following. It says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he also saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too, and they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So here too we see this brief record, this brief account of this invitation to Peter and Andrew and James and John. We don't know a lot about the background, we don't know... If this was their first, well, actually, if you read in John's gospel, you get the idea that this was not their first encounter with Jesus. They, they probably had been listening and paying attention and had encountered Jesus before. And now, as they've been wondering, who is this? He comes along the shore and he invites them to follow. And they leave their vocations. They leave their pre- previous identities. James and John leave their father. They leave their boats. And they left these good things, these meaningful things, these significant things, these gifts that God had given them, and they exchange it for something better. What we see in this invitation is it's it's a very personal invitation, but it's also a very high challenge. It's no small ask. Let's go to the third account in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, we see in this account the invitation and clearly what is required when we respond to this invitation to follow. Again, it's this good news story of, of a personal invitation for everyone, but again, it's, it's high challenge because you know what? God's invitation always is. If you read in the Old Testament and you look at God calling out people and this invitation that God gives, even in the Old Testament, as he, as he called and invited Moses and he invited Abraham and he invited Esther and he invited them to follow him and walk in his ways, it wasn't an invitation of, hey, you got a minute? won't be a big inconvenience. Do you want to just sort of do this thing for me? It won't cost you a lot. And then you can go back to your life the way it was. That was never the kind of invitation that God gave. It was always an invitation of incredibly high challenge that actually cost all of you. But it was worth every bit of it. And so we see in Matthew chapter 16, this invitation in the similar way that is not of low challenge. It's extremely high challenge. And Jesus begins by explaining the path that he must follow and his calling. And then he says to his disciples that you now have to walk in these footsteps. You need to walk in a very similar kind of way. So we read in verse 21 of Matthew 16. 
says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him saying, for saying such things. And Peter says, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And then Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. It's interesting how sometimes the great temptations away from the will of God are actually from really well-meaning people who love us and actually don't want pain for us. You experience that in your life sometimes? I know being involved in, in MB Mission over the years and and hearing how oftentimes the greatest obstacle for missionaries going to the mission field are, are parents who want to protect them and don't want them to be in trouble or have danger or hardship. And here Peter is saying to Jesus, no, 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 that'll never happen to you, Jesus. Why are you talking that way? And I think it's a reminder to us to be wary of sometimes of friends who would say to us, you know, God wouldn't want you to face this because they want to protect us from things that hurt. Then Jesus unpacks it really clearly about what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And he says in verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. So Jesus says many things here, but at least three things that we can see really clearly are a part of following me and his invitation to follow me. He says, first of all, you need to turn from your selfish ways. Other translations say deny yourself. In other words, Deny your agenda, your selfish ways, your objectives for your life, the things that are so important to you, and you need to actually now embrace and grab on to God's ways. This is a hard message then and also today. As you think about living in a culture where we are often told about and pushed towards comfort and, and reminded that, you know, we are really the center of the universe and that life is about us, and now Jesus says you need to deny yourself and turn from your selfish ways. Because otherwise it keeps you from being a follower. It's distracting. And so we see in this text that there is a constant letting go. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and follow him without letting go of some things. Paul says that in Philippians chapter 3. When he talks about his life of discipleship in Jesus, and he says, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. And how in order to strain towards what is ahead, which is Jesus Christ and his kingdom work, he has to let go of what is behind. And if you read that text in context, what Paul has just described earlier is all of the things that were such blessings to him. His identity as a Roman citizen, his, his training as a Pharisee, and all the understanding that he had of the Torah. And all of this background and this this reputation he had in their culture as a very good upright religious leader and he says all this is garbage compared to knowing jesus and he says sometimes we have to leave behind our identity and strain towards what is ahead and so a question as you think about following jesus is what is it that god is asking you to leave behind because god 
requires that of us. And I think at different seasons of our lives, we need to let go of different things. And oftentimes, there are, they are good things. Peter and Andrew needed to leave their nets. James and John actually needed to leave their father. Matthew, even though it was a hard career, had to leave a very lucrative career as a tax collector. I've gone through various seasons in my life of having to let go and leave behind previous identities, previous securities, previous things that I held on to so tightly in order to follow what I felt God was calling me to follow. And it happens over and over and over again. You're going, many of you are going through some of those dilemmas and questions right now. God is asking you to let go in order to pursue. So what is it that God is asking you to turn from your selfish ways in? Secondly, what we see in this text is Jesus says, take up your cross. Not only deny yourself, but take up your cross. He doesn't say, take up my cross. He says, take up your cross. Jesus modeled that. The cross is the central image of the Christian faith. It's a central image of discipleship. We see that throughout Scripture. And a really significant one. It's about dying to self. The the disciples, when they heard this, they would have understood the metaphor really powerfully. They, They knew the Roman culture. They knew the practice of crucifixion. They knew what the cross was used for. It was the most brutal form of death. And so they knew that Jesus was talking about Death. Death to self. Take up your cross. And what does it mean to do that? They would have known the very real possibility of their own physical death if they actually followed Jesus. They would have known that this means that it, we need to die to ourselves. And, and we see in the gospel accounts as we read about Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection that the cross and all that it accomplished was absolutely at the core of Jesus' purpose of why he came to earth. And so the cross symbolized so many things of what it means to be a disciple and what it means to follow Jesus in this way. Through the cross, Jesus reconciled us to God and allowed for new life to form in us. And so the cross is also this remarkable symbol of grace and redemption, that God can make things new again, that when the old things die, that God can bring new life to things. So Jesus requires us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and also to follow me, he says. Follow me. And he goes on and he says, you know, if you hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So Jesus is talking about an eternal judgment, but he's also talking about an immediate, in this life, reality as well too, that our soul starts to die when we lose sight of God's purposes in our lives. And we start to live for the things of the world, and we start to grab onto and hold onto more tightly those things of the world that we think are drawing us and, and give, giving us the things that we think we're looking for. And then Jesus says, no, if you want to follow me, you need to let go. And it's not so much a destination that we end up, but it's a journey and an intentionality of steps in a certain direction following Jesus. If you think about your soul, the soul is like the operating system of your life. It's what integrates the body, mind, and will. It's the deepest part of you. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, when it was often when the soul was referred to, it was equated with the whole person. It's just referring to the, the whole person. 
the integrity of the whole person. Think of the person of each one of us, of following in the ways of God and in the ways that God has created us. And so when our soul is healthy and these things are integrated in God's purposes for us, we feel it, we experience it. When we've kind of abandoned God's purposes for us and we've kind of moved beyond them and grabbed onto the things of the world, our soul starts to die a very slow death. Even when we try to keep ourselves from pain and discomfort, we, we start to lose our soul. So real discipleship is this call to be all in. And the reality that there are some things more important than even our physical lives. That's what Jesus was saying to these disciples and says to us. There's an eternal cost, he's saying, of of a reality of heaven and hell, but there's also a present-day cost of a soul that withers and dies in this life right now. And he says, Jesus says, I came to give you life that you may have life to the full that your soul will be integrated, that your soul will be complete, that your body, mind, and spirit, and that your intellect and all of that will understand and follow in God's purposes. And at the end of life, we're measured by the health of our souls, not the wealth of our estates. So as I think about application for us, how do we take these teachings of what does it mean to follow Jesus and apply them in our lives? Well, Let me just sort of parallel these three things that Jesus says. First of all, I think we need to evaluate and let go. We need to evaluate. We need to ask the question, God, where is it that you're asking me to let go of this so I can grab on to what you're inviting me to, to follow? And I think at different seasons of our life, we're asked to let go of different things. And I know some things are things that are kind of thrust upon us. They're not of any choice of our own. And as I talk to people in the older Elderly stages of life, there's a constant letting go. Letting go of freedoms, letting go of of health, letting go of some securities. So the question that I would have you ask is, what is it that you need to let go of as you evaluate your life? What is keeping you from following Jesus? Or what is just this life stage that God is asking you to trust more? And again, sometimes they're good things that we have to let go of. Our previous identities, our careers. Sometimes God asks us of those things. Sometimes not. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's the fear of failure. We need to let go of that. Maybe it's the fear of what other people will think. If we follow Jesus more radically and walk in his ways, what is it that God is stirring within you to let go of? In Hebrews chapter 12, there's this wonderful text that the author of Hebrews gives us a glimpse into what it means to follow Jesus and says this, as we live a a witness to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Strip off every weight that slows us down and the sin. So some of it isn't even the sin, it's just the things that slow us down, these good things in life that that God is actually asking us to let go of and to evaluate in our lives in a new way and to live more fully for Him. And so we need to evaluate and let go. And secondly, what I would say is to embrace your calling. I truly think that that is part of what Jesus is saying when He says, take up your cross. For Jesus to take up His cross, this was the purpose of why He came to this earth and to walk to the death on a cross to be raised again. 
And this phrase in here has eternal significance, but it also has a significance of saying, what is it that God has placed within you uniquely? What are some of the unique callings that God has called you to that are going to be really hard? What is God asking you to do in this season of your life to live out in a way that will follow Jesus and honor him and give glory to the king that will not be easy? And it's part of the calling that God has put in your life. So how is it that God is asking you to take up your cross and follow him? And then thirdly, we follow Jesus by keeping our eyes on him. And Kevin read this Hebrews text earlier on in the service. And in verse 2 of chapter 12 of Hebrews, he says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. To know God. To know God's word. To be in God's word on a regular basis. To be a person of prayer. To be a family of prayer. An individual of prayer. To learn what it means to walk with the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit empowers and fuels your life and has given you unique gifts and what the Holy Spirit would say to you and teach you. To be in community and to be connected with others in a way that changes you and you allow others to speak Jesus into your life. And you're encouraged by their faith and you have an opportunity to encourage them as well. And so as we go throughout this fall series, we want to take a number of weeks to kind of just unpack and walk through these different steps because again it's the question isn't have you arrived the question is are you following and what are the steps of intentional steps that you're taking in direction towards Jesus and so we're going to spend a couple of weeks talking about community what does it mean to create community and and be a people of faith community and to encourage one another in that What does it mean to experience the love of Jesus and to model that for the sake of others? And and what steps is God asking me to do in order to do that more fully? How is God calling me to be trained in obedience and also to train others in obedience and just to encourage people in that? We do that in a whole variety of ways through our various ministries here as a church. An opportunity next Sunday night we do in prayer as we do our first prayer summit next Sunday night and we we train one another in how, how do we pray? How are we to be people of prayer? And then the last one of we hold these two things in tension together of, of how we serve others and proclaim the gospel. And how Jesus always calls us to do both. These are intentional steps of discipleship. These are things that Jesus did and he invites us to do the same. And so may God give us wisdom. May God give us conviction. May God give us passion to follow after him because of not only his eternal reward, but the reward even here in this life as God has called us to be a blessing to the nations. Worship team, if you would come up. Let's stand together and I would want to close in prayer. So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to take up your cross that we can be reconciled with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to know more intimately what it means to follow you this fall. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and to disciple others? Help us to have our eyes open to what you have for us. Help us to not be intimidated by being overwhelmed with all that's in front of us, but actually just to take a next step. And God, I pray for each person here that you would help us to know what is the next step that you're calling us to take in order to follow you. And so, Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, with the power and the conviction of your Spirit, and help us to have hearts that are obedient. 
as we follow you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.